So I grew up going to church, and one of the things we did when I was a kid is something we called a sword drill, which sounds really, really weird. And I understand that, but sometimes in the Bible, the Bible is called a sword, and I think that's why we called it a sword drill. And this was a game we would play, and we would race to see who could look up the Bible verse the fastest. And by surprise, I became a pastor. This is ridiculous. I did this when I was growing up. But here's how you play. You put the Bible kind of behind your back like this, and then somebody will call out, you know, a Bible verse, and then you kind of whip it around, and it matters if you have it right side up, right? You're losing valuable seconds. That's a pro tip just for you, just so you know, if you ever find yourself playing, playing this game at home with your friends. But so any Bible verse, they'd call it out, and you kind of whip it around, and then you'd go and seek out kind of the, the Bible verse. And then when you found it, you had to read the entire verse out loud, and the first one who found it and read the verse out loud won the point, first to five points win. So it'd kind of go like this. You'd kind of have it behind your back, and they'd say, like, First John 5.21, like a quarterback, like, hike. And then you'd go, I'm cheating, I have this little thing right here. And then First John 5.21, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Boom, you would have won the point. That's how, the, that's how you play the game. Now, the point of the game was to help us learn, I guess, kind of in a fun way, the order of the books of the Bible, you know, be able to look something up without going to kind of the table of contents, which isn't necessary anymore because we have iPhones. And so you can just go straight to it in an app. But before iPhones, you had this, and you get to the table of contents, and that was the whole point of the game. And I was amazing at this game for one very specific reason. I cheated. Like, Every single time I cheated. Two very specific ways I cheated. Here's the first way. I would sneak into the room where we were going to have, you know, kind of this game, and I would find the piece of paper that they had pre-chosen because they like didn't want any weird Bible verses, you know? And so I put it on a post-it note right here in my Bible. And then before each one, I'd be like, oh, interesting. And then, you know, you'd, I'd already be there. The other way that I would cheat is I kind of would put, you know, oh, well, I'll put a thumb here and kind of a finger in the psalm area and, and for Samuel and kind of have it behind my back like that. And they'd be like, hey, it's psalm. And you'd be like, oh, fancy that. I'm already there, right? Both of those ways I would cheat. Why? Like, why in the world would I cheat at a game looking up Bible verses. I've been asking myself that question this week. That's a fair question. Why would I do that? And here's my answer. I cared more about what we were doing than why we were doing it. I wanted to win. You play to win the game. Like, it feels good to win. I also wanted people to think that I knew the Bible really well, and I wanted people to be impressed with how good I was at this game. That did not work. They knew I was cheating. I got in trouble for it all the time. Like, I lost the whole point of the game in the midst of playing the game. I cared more about the what than I did about the why. And we do this all the time with things in our lives, don't we? Things that have a purpose, even a good purpose, and we kind of get lost in there. And we are past the good part of doing it, and we make it into something maybe not quite as good, or we make it more important than it should be. See, last week we started a series, and we're calling it Everyday Priorities. And here's really the concept. There are things in our lives that we do every day. We talk about, think about, post about, that look normal, that are normal. Everything that subtly and then slowly becomes the focus of our lives and our hearts. And before we realize it, we take a really good thing and replace God with this good but not as good as God type of thing. And anything that replaces God in our hearts is unstable. Actually, it's unhealthy. It leans us toward despair and destruction. 
And all of these things in our lives, at the, at the root of them, if you're struggling in some way, shape, or form, if there's something going on in your life, you just don't know what to do, at the root of it, oftentimes there is this fancy word, it's called an idol. And these idols take the place of God sitting on kind of the throne, they're the most important thing in our heart. So here's 1 John 5, 21. Sword drill! No, nobody? Okay, cool. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. These are things in our lives, anything in our lives, some obvious, some sneaky, all of them, if they take the place of God's place in our lives, are incredibly dangerous, even things like looking up Bible verses. So here's the definition. Here's kind of what we mean by an idol. Here's what it means. An idol is anything that replaces God. And today, we're talking about a specific kind of idol. We're talking about the idolatry of religion. We don't like that term sometimes. We don't like the word religion. So if you want to replace it with something, faith, or the practice of your faith, the way that you go about your faith. We're talking about the idolatry of religion. And that seems really weird for a guy who works in a church, who likes church, who goes to church all the time, to talk about how maybe the way we practice our faith is a bad thing. That's fair, because isn't, isn't that a good thing? Like, what is idolatry when it comes to kind of religion or our faith? Well, remember, see, the story about looking up Bible verses, that story is a story about idolatry. Did you catch it? Because in the context of faith, I was putting the what before the why. So how would we define religious idolatry? Well, check this out. Here it is. Religious idolatry gets caught up in the what, puts the what, and forgets the why. Puts the what before the why. So what the what? What is the what? Like when it comes to faith, what is the what? Well, it's really anything. It's the practice of our faith, the songs we sing, how things look, how things feel, what we do, what we believe it means to be a Christian, what we believe it doesn't mean to be a Christian, what we expect, all of those things, what's being taught, everything, what we believe, what we feel, what we do in regards to our faith can be the what. And the what is really important. It is. It's really, really important. But sometimes... We focus all of it on the what, all of our affection, all of our focus, all of our heart, everything on the what and not the why. And we start to believe that the what matters more than the why. When we start to believe that hope comes from the way we sing a song, and it doesn't. Or we start to believe that joy comes from experiencing something in a very specific way, the what. But it doesn't. It comes from Jesus. And we start caring about things. I start caring about things that aren't as important, but we make them feel more important or the most important. And then we start to lose our way or we start to lose our faith because the what changes all the time. We don't sing the same song today that we did 100 years ago, that we did 100 years before that and 100 years before that, right? And sometimes we go, well, we should, but that's not the point. See, that's all about the what, not the why. That changes all the time, or our circumstances change all the time. And in the process of focusing on this what in our faith, we focus on that instead of the why, and we get all confused. See, here's what I mean. Religious idolatry happens when what we believe, what we do, and what we feel in the context of faith replaces God. That's what religious idolatry is. 
the what goes before the why. And here's the truth. I want, I, want, I want you to understand this. That's not true. Here's what's true. The why, Jesus, is more important than the what, the practice of religion. The what is not more important than the why. Now, I needed some help identifying this stuff in my life. This is hard because the what is good, right? It's inherently good. So I understand, you know, in my head even, I'm like, Jesus first, but how do I live it out? How do I kind of address this? Am I allowing the what in my life to replace the why? So let's just go through this together. Just kind of do this with me. Let's, let's do this all together at the same time. Close your eyes. If you're online at home, if you're here, kind of close your eyes. It's okay. We're not going to like come up and sucker punch you or anything. It's okay. It's a safe place. Here we go. We're going to ask some questions. In the context of faith, close your eyes, answer these questions about what we believe. About what we believe. What do you believe strongly, like passionately? What do you care about the most? Do you know why you believe it? How do you view someone who doesn't believe the same way you believe? Like, honestly, like for real. How do you believe... How does someone else believe that? Do you believe more about the what? Do you care more about the what? Do you talk more about the what? Do you post more about the what in your faith than the why? All right, open your eyes, shake it off. That's the first one. We're going to do three rounds. All three of them. Here we go. Here's number two. Close your eyes. What we do. Let's talk about what we do. Do you think you're a good person because of what you do? I'm a good person because I go to church or I pray or I posted the quote of scripture on Instagram, hashtag saved or whatever. Do you think you're a good person because of what you do? Do you do things for the wrong reasons at times? That's challenging. We all do. Do you do things for wrong reasons? Why? Do you ever do things so that other people will see you doing them? Do you know why you do what you do when it comes to faith? All right, open your eyes. See, have you ever done something your whole life and you go, and somebody comes up to you and is like, why do you do it that way? And you're like, I got nothing. I don't know. No idea. I have no idea why I do that. That happens to me all the time. Like, I got married, and one morning, my wife, Abby, after we had gotten married, Abby and I were getting ready for work, just normal, everyday stuff, and she was brushing her teeth, I was taking a shower, and she noticed that I wash my body first, and then I wash my hair. Body first, sorry for the image, but body, body first, and then the hair. Turns out, she has a very strong opinion that that is very incorrect. I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, that she's like, you're doing it wrong because if you do your body first and then you wash your hair, then all the dirt from your hair goes onto your body. And I'm like, news to me? Never thought about it. Still don't really care. Still do it the wrong way. Watched this morning out of spite because I knew I was talking about it today. I'm like, wash them this way first. But I've been doing it wrong my whole life. But the reality is I didn't ever, not once until she asked me that, not once had I thought about it. And we do that with things of faith all the time. But we don't actually know why. We don't actually think about why. All right, we'll do one more round of questions. All right, close your eyes with me. Thanks for doing this with me. I appreciate it. Okay, what we feel. Just one super clear question here. Do you believe that church should feel a certain way? I do, by the way. But 
Here's what I mean. Like if it doesn't make you feel a certain way on a certain day, it's wrong. Like it wasn't good. You know, if a song didn't reach me in a certain way, I didn't like it. Or, you know, the person on stage talking said something that you didn't like, sorry. And that's your evaluation. Or like we're doing something, maybe we're doing something called communion where you know, we're kind of celebrating what Jesus did on the cross and that he died for us. And if it doesn't feel a certain way, if it doesn't make you feel the right way, then it's wrong or it isn't good. You believe church should feel a certain way. Open your eyes. Here's something that challenged me is I've been wrestling with this. If every aspect of my faith life feels good, I need to check myself. If every single thing that I do in relationship with God, like I'm never kind of surrendering what he wants me to do, it's always like I am the measurement of that. If every aspect of my faith life feels good to me, I need to check myself. Because do I really think that God's goal in my life is for me to always feel good. I do think he cares for us feeling good, but no, I don't believe God's goal in my life is for me to feel good. I believe God's goal in my life is to love me perfectly, to draw me closer to him. And I have to be honest with you, the times that I don't feel good, are you with me on this? The times that I don't feel good are often the times that I'm drawn closer to God. It's not when I feel fine and fancy free. People who struggle with this, I struggle with this, so myself included, we don't recognize that these things, kind of what we believe, what we do, what we feel, can sometimes become idols. But remember, anything that replaces God is an idol. And if we're not cautious, if we're not cautious, we believe that doing the right things and acting the right way is what matters. And sometimes we start to go doing the right things in the right way is what matters most. And that's actually no different than any type of idol. Here's another way of saying it. We believe our worth, identity, value, we believe our worth is based in what we do. We do the right thing, therefore we are good. And it comes down, this comes down to religious performance is idolatry. So here's what I mean. The what of religion, of faith, looks really good. Oh, I wish I could look like that person. They're nice and shiny and new. And on the surface, that's kind of what we think, that when our worth is based in what we do and doing enough good stuff, that becomes the most important thing. We become obsessive about the what and we spend our energy talking to other people about the what, or we spend our energy measuring other people against what we think of the what, and we go out of our way to make sure that other people see us doing the what, and our worth isn't based in what we do at all. That's actually a trap. It's a trap of idolatry like Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. Like, it's a big deal. And as long as we live our lives like what, what matters more than why, it's a never-ending cycle because we can never do enough good stuff and when we mess up, or when we don't feel a certain way, that's probably more challenging for me, when I don't feel the hope, or I don't feel the joy, or I don't feel the peace, even though I think I'm doing all the right stuff in my faith, 
When I don't feel a certain way, I drive right back into doing the right thing. Like, I have to do it more. And it feels good for a minute sometimes, or sometimes our circumstances change, and it's really, really difficult, and we don't know what to do, and we're back at the beginning because we think that our value, our worth is found in just doing the good stuff. And that's a trap. So let's see what Jesus says about that. So we're going to tell a story Matthew 9, if anybody wants to sword drill with me, Matthew 9, okay? That's where we're going to be. We actually talked about the story a couple um, months ago. Check this out. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, sometimes we call him Levi, saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. So we talked about this in a series we called Dinner with Jesus. We Use the verses out of the book of Luke, and so Matthew's called Levi there. So you can check that out online or in the app. But here's kind of the highlight of this point. So Jesus is talking to a tax collector who's like the worst of the worst of the worst. And that would have been shocking that he was even interacting with Matthew at all. But Matthew is an outcast. He's stealing all the time from his neighbors. And Jesus says, come follow me. And Matthew does. And the first thing he does when he follows him is he throws a party. So that's verse 10. Check this out. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples, followers, to his home as dinner guests, along with many bad people, tax collectors and other, I love this phrase, disreputable sinners. You can use that at home. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? So the Pharisees are religious teachers of the day. And this is really important. I love this. I love this. See, from the outside looking in, the Pharisees, we missed this, the outside looking in, the Pharisees looked better than Jesus did in this scenario. You really shouldn't have been hanging out with the people Jesus was hanging out with in that culture and in that time be like hanging out with a pedophile or something like that. Like we go, I don't, that's a whole different ball game, right? It's not like an IRS guy. It's the worst of the worst. And so the Pharisees were doing the things, they were doing the right things that were more acceptable. And they cared so deeply about doing the right things and that other people saw them doing the right things. And when other people were doing the wrong things with the wrong people, that they called them pond scum. And they believed that their worth was based in doing the right things and what they did in the what. And this is verse 12. This is what Jesus says. Well, when Jesus heard this with the Pharisees, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he quotes scripture. This is what he says. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And I love that. That's awesome. Here's why. The Pharisees would have had that memorized. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. They had it memorized. That was part of their ritual. That was the what that they did. And they'd taken the time to learn all this stuff. He's quoting from the book of Hosea, Old Testament, first half of the Bible. And this is what it says in Hosea 6.6. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. This is God talking. See, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. It's not the what, it's the why. It's not about the sacrifice or the religious principle. It's the why. It's the love. It's the hope. It's the peace. You see? Right smack dab in the Pharisee's face. Boom. I love it. What's he saying? I think that's what he's saying. He's saying boom shakalaka. Take that. It's not about what you do. Don't just do 
the right stuff. And then this is how Jesus ends the conversation. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And we fall into that trap, don't we? Into the first part of this, that we think we got it all together, just like the people that Jesus is talking to. And that we've got to do the right stuff, and our worth is based in us doing the right stuff. That we're righteous, that we're right, that doing the right thing is what matters. Pray more, give more, join a group, and all those things are amazing things. We talk about them all the time, actually. But the point is not doing the right stuff. Jesus is saying, don't do the religious right stuff. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about what you do. It's about Jesus. It's about why we would do any of that. He's saying our worth does not equal, actually, our behavior at all. At all. It's not a transaction. We can't stack enough stuff up. And when we replace God for what he wants us to do in our lives, when we replace it for all this what, we lose out on all of the love and the relationship and the mercy. Because he gives us what we're hoping for, which is just the what. It's dangerous. It's idolatry. Because our worth is not based on what we do. But this phrase, I think, pushes us around a little bit. It's an annoying phrase, and this is just me being vulnerable with you. I actually don't always know if I want this phrase to be true, because I want what I do to impact my worth. I want to be in control. I want to be able to say, okay, I'm doing the right stuff, check, check, check. But that's idolatry. Or maybe this phrase could be so freeing because it's this reminder that this is unachievable. Our worth being in what we do is unachievable. We can't be perfect. We can't do it. But the way people behave does impact the way we view them, right? Do you love someone based on what they do? Before you're like, no, 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 I would never. We immediately say we don't, right? But let's be real. You're getting to know somebody and you find out something about them and then you're like, Gross. Like that's that's disgusting. I don't want to be I don't want to be around them. Or maybe, you know, you're just talking to somebody, you're getting to know them, you're like, oh, we could be friends, right? And you're like, what's your favorite Christmas song? And they say something like, I don't know, Last Christmas by Wham. And you're like, Last Christmas by Wham? Can we be friends? The reason I'm saying that is Becca, who's up here, that's her that's her favorite Christmas song. Take that, Becca. But seriously, like if somebody hurts you abuses you, you love them less? Maybe. Someone bails on you, do you love them less? Someone doesn't measure up to your expectation, do you love them less? We seek out friends, we seek out people, jobs, we seek out churches based on what we believe, what we do, and what we feel. We do. And we think less of people when they don't measure up. You want to know something amazing? God doesn't. He doesn't change the way he loves us based on what we do. He doesn't change based on how religious we are. Or if we're a great Christian or we have no idea what that even means. See, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. God loved your neighbor so much that he sent Jesus. God loved the person you think and like the least in the world, 
He sent Jesus for them too. Because our worth is not based in what we do at all. So whatever you're holding on to, you're like, well, I did that. No, it's not based on what you do. Or whatever you're holding on to and you go, well, I've got to do more of that. It's not based on what you do. So what do we do with that? How do we kind of move from this religious idolatry? How do we shift to God being first again? Well, just a couple of quick ways. Here's the first one. Our worth is not based on who we say we are, but who God says we are. Who do you say you are? Whatever you know, title, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a job, maybe it's something that you've done. I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a fool, whatever it is. Good or bad, we're not defined by that. Who do other people say you are, good or bad? We're not defined by that. Who does God say you are? God says that you are incredibly valuable because he created you. Not only are you incredibly valuable, that you're a masterpiece, that our worth is built in. It doesn't really matter if you do a bunch of good stuff or no good stuff. In the womb, God created us, loves us, provides for us, not because of the good stuff we do, but just because he is good. So our worth is not based on anything that we do. It's based on the fact that the creator of the universe decided to create us. That's who God says we are. What else? Well, our worth is not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done. See, listen, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. And that's what we say. But he didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for the people in this room for the people who think they need him, for the people who don't think they need him, for the people who look like us or act like us, the people who are desperate for him, everyone in between, he died for everybody. And some of us need to hear this, I think because we're desperate for hope. We know we've messed up. We know we fall short. And we know we need Jesus. And some of us think that we're past needing Jesus, for being honest. That it's basic. Or that it's something we've known for so long that it doesn't mean anything anymore. But that is putting the what, how we feel, or all that stuff. It's putting the what before the why. And we have to put the why before the what. Put Jesus before everything else. The what are good things when they're completely and utterly surrendered to Jesus. The what are good things when the Holy Spirit prompts us and guides us and loves us. They are good things when we aren't being defined by them, but we're being defined by what Jesus has done. And when we are defined by what Jesus has done, this is what happens. This is Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give everything, your bodies, to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Just pause right there. You remember? You remember the Pharisees? They're like, it's all about sacrifice, right? It's all about what you do, what you do. It's all about the what. And this is saying, no, no, no. The kind he will find acceptable because this is truly the way to worship him because of what he has done, not because of what we do. Because of what he has done, we give him everything. We give him what we believe, what we feel, what we do. We put the why before the what. Here's a fancy church word for that. Just surrender. We can't even get close. Listen, we can't even get close to doing enough good stuff to earning what we're worth. 
We're far more valuable than that. And he says, because you're far more valuable than than that, let me do it for you. Surrender. Give it all to me. And I think, and if you've done that in your life, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, I just encourage you to do do a gut check. Do a heart check. Ask yourself. Ask God to tell you. That's scarier. Is there anything I'm putting before God? Any religious act that I do not for God, but for another reason. And if this is the first time that you've heard it, you know, hey, that Jesus is somebody to follow, to trust, to believe that he came for you and your neighbor and your friend, and you don't have to earn it, you don't have to deserve it, that you're just called to surrender because of who God is. My prayer, my hope is that you do it right now. There's no fancy words. You don't have to do it in a specific way. It's just saying, I'm going to surrender all of it right now. You put them first. Because our worth isn't based in what we do. It's based in what Jesus has done. And it's based in who God says we are. That's it. We believe and we feel and we do not because of us, but because of the why, because of Jesus, because of the cross. Our battle is already won. Put up that verse again. This is the end of this story. For I have come to not call those who think, not are, by the way, just think, who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus came for sinners, for failures, for adulterers, for liars, for abusers, for bigots, for haters, people who are pretending that they've got it all together. See, Jesus came for people who think that they've got it all together, but don't. Jesus came for people who look exactly like you because he came for you. And Jesus came for people who don't look anything like you because Jesus came for sinners, not for people who do it all right. Thank God. Not for people who want other people to see him all nice and shiny. Jesus came for people who mess up. Jesus came for people who are suffering. So are you scared? Are you confused? Are you hopeless? Do you not know what to do? He came for you. And he's saying, put the why before the what. Don't worry about the what. Let me worry about the what. Worry about the why. Worry about me. Put me before anything and everything else. Surrender. And I will love you like your worth. Like a masterpiece. My child whom I love. Just put the why before the what. I'd like to pray for us. I confess to you, God, that I put the what before the why all the time. I confess to you, God, that I put the what before the why this morning. And we seek after you and my prayer my prayer right now is that you would draw us so close because of your love for us, that you would remind us so vividly of how loved we are, that you would help us surrender so much that the what just fades away. That we are reminded who you say we are, how loved we are by you, that we are your child. And that The what, all these things that we do don't matter nearly as much as you. Thank you for your love. 
Thank You for the cross and for Jesus. And we surrender it all to You. Thank You that we are who You say we are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.